Now, can you just stand if you've ever uh, been a part of Calvary Kids? There we have it. So let's thank them. Okay, so we are in a new book of the Bible today. And what might it be? Well, it's Ephesians. So stand uh, for the reading of God's Word. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. We are go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We are in Ephesians. I don't know, maybe uh, four-fifths through your Bible, something like that. Ephesians. We will be going through Ephesians. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That's what we do here at Calvary Chapel. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Nice and nice and high. Okay, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord. We thank you for the children. We really do. We thank you for... Your word, actually your word that came from your lips, Lord Jesus, that um, unless we are converted and changed and become like children, we will not see the kingdom of God. We thank you for that. We also thank you for this, this letter, Lord. We thank you for First John. We thank you for the whole Bible. But we thank you now for this letter. It has so much to teach us. Lord, we came here to change. We came here because we're not satisfied not changing. We read your word. It says that the purpose and glory of our lives is to be transformed into your glory, into your image, Jesus. I pray that you would do that by your word, through your spirit, this morning. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So I have... uh, been walking with Jesus now for 27 years, and I just want to tell you a little story about how much the this book of Ephesians means to me. A little over halfway mark of my walk with God, I had what can only be described as just a tremendous spiritual attack. Literally, from one day to the next, I don't know where, I believe it was a Monday morning, I just found myself, I woke up one morning, and just a tremendous fog of discouragement and unbelief. Discouragement and unbelief. And I do what I always do. I went and I got my Bible and I opened it and something that happened that had never happened before. All of a sudden, I, I looked at it and I'm like, I, I just can't believe any of this. I, I, I couldn't believe anything that I was reading. It, it, it just was all dead and lifeless to me. 
And there seemed to be a voice, not an audible one, but an overwhelming spirit of unbelief just saying, just none of this is true. None of it. And I I, got to tell you, I was terrified. I was terrified because the word of God was my life. Without the word of God, I knew. I knew that I knew that I knew that I was I was doomed. I was done. As I shared my testimony before, there's a long history of mental illness in my family. And when I gave my life to Jesus at 24 years old, I mean, I was mentally, my mind was going south and I knew it. It was like my mind, I could almost feel it bending. But Jesus Christ had restored me to life and then he had been pouring his word in me and and it had just become this daily thing. The word of God had given me a sound mind. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love, of, uh, love, power, and a sound mind. And I knew that, man, if I stayed in this place where I'm looking at the Word of God, and, and, and all of a sudden, for some reason, it was all dead. I, I was like, I don't believe any of this. I knew I was done. I knew within months, and I mean within months, I'd be in a room with padded walls somewhere. Here I was, 13 or 14 years into my walk with God, and I, I was just in this cloud of unbelief. I was in shock. I was just so weak, right? so weak, so desperate. And so in my desperation, I just did the only thing I knew to do. I, I, I was had been listening to a Calvary Chapel pastor online teach through the Bible, and he had just started that day or I had gotten to the point in my study of him where, where he had started a study in this book the book of Ephesians and, and I listened as he taught this letter starting in chapter 1 verse 1 Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. And and the Lord just used this letter to draw me slowly, gently, 
with just so much kindness and love and tenderness right out of that fog of unbelief. And so just a few, within a few days, I was just back, back in his arms, filled with faith and belief, wondering what on earth was all that about. Now, 13 or 14 years later from that, today I understand a lot more about spiritual attack, spiritual warfare. I didn't know as much about it then, but I've never really had something like that of that magnitude happen again. But this letter has remained close to my heart. Samuel Coleridge, one of the most famous and influential English poets, really in the long thousand-year history, thousand-plus history of, of England, calls the book of Ephesians the divinest composition of man in any language. The letter has what may be the clearest and most spectacular messages of grace in all the Bible. One of the clearest and most spectacular messages of grace and peace. And who could possibly be a better messenger of grace and peace than the Apostle Paul? Again, verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. And, and this is how this man, Paul, Begins every one of his letters. Grace to you and peace. His letter to the Romans. His letter to the Corinthians. The first and second. His letter to the Galatians. This one to the Ephesians. His letter to the Philippians. His letter to the Colossians. His letter to the uh, uh, Thessalonians. uh, His letter to Timothy. Both times he wrote to him. His letter to Titus. His letter to Philemon. Grace to you and peace. Now, the Jews at the time always greeted people uh, by saying shalom. They do that to this day. Shalom means peace. The non-Jews at that time, in other words, 99.5% of the world, uh, greeted with charis, the Greek word charis, which means grace. Paul puts them together. He puts the two together. Grace and peace. And he begins every letter, grace and peace. Why? Because you cannot have peace until you first have grace. You cannot have peace until you first have grace. And you'll never see that. You'll never see the phrase peace and grace In the Bible in that order. You won't see peace and grace. In the Bible in that order. Why? Because you cannot have peace unless you first have grace. Now I want to talk about those two words. Grace and peace. And. uh, Oh no. I want to actually do what the Bible doesn't do. I want to to start with the word peace. And and you'll understand why in a little bit. But 
Let's talk about this word, peace. Peace. It's what every human being wants more than anything else in the world. Peace. You say, no, man, that's not true. They want, human beings, I know them, they want money. They want power. They want fame. No, they want money, power, and fame because they think that if they get money, power, and fame, they'll get peace. But the universal experience of man is that once they get the money, there's no peace in it. Once they get the power, there's no peace in it. Once they get the fame, no peace. That can be said of anything. Once they get the pleasure, no peace. In fact, the universal experience of man is once they get the money, the power, the fame, the pleasure... There's less peace. There was at least kind of a peace when they were pursuing it, thinking that at some point in the future they'd have a peace, and that gave them a little peace. But then once they got there, there's no peace. What is it anyway? Oxford Dictionary defines it like this. Wow. Nice and blown up. Good job, Sean. Peace. Oxford Dictionary. Freedom from emotional, mental, or spiritual disturbance. Freedom from inner conflict. Inner calm. Sound attractive to anyone here? It's what every man, woman, and child strives for, really. Peace. Freedom from emotional Mental or spiritual disturbance. Freedom from inner conflict. Anyone here this morning completely free from emotional, mental, or spiritual disturbance? Free from inner conflict. Anyone here in a place of total inner calm? Well, there can hardly be a better messenger, a better spokesman of peace, of grace and peace, but peace than Paul. Not just because Paul knew what it was like to have peace, he did, but because of all people, he knew what it was like to have no peace. So let me put up for you a description of Paul at a time of his life where he didn't have peace. It's in the book of Acts. There's a description of Paul before he became a Christian that says, as for Saul, Paul's name at one point was Saul. It was changed to Paul. As for Saul, this is uh, Paul at the beginning of uh, his life. He made havoc. That word havoc means destruction. It means ruin. He made havoc of the church entering Every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Now, there is a person who lacks peace. Would you say he lacks peace? How about Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, same guy, Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Here's a guy who lacks peace. This is a description of a guy who does not have peace and does not know peace in his life. No peace there. Now, all of this begs the question, what, what is the cause of lack of peace? 
or, or Oxford Dictionary. What is the cause of man's emotional, mental, and spiritual disturbance? What is the cause of man's inner conflict? I'm going to give two reasons. There's probably more than two reasons. I'm going to give two. Reason number one for the absence of peace in a human being's life is because there's a void, there's an empty space in the heart of every man, woman, and child. Actually, when they come out of the womb. There's a void, an empty space in the heart of every man, woman, and child. This void, this empty space can only be filled by God. And until it is filled by God, there cannot be peace. Impossible. Why? Because God designed us that way. He designed us to be filled with Him. But along the way, we lost it. Along the way, at the very beginning, it was lost. The book of Ecclesiastes speaks about this empty place. It speaks about this void. It says this, God has set eternity in the human heart. Meaning, he has, he has, he's, he's put an empty space in all of us, which longs for eternity. It longs for God. And again, until that empty place is filled by God, there will be emotional, mental, and spiritual disturbance reason number two for the absence of peace in the human heart is this man is at war with God here's Paul in his letter to the Romans this very simple phrase he says we were enemies of God describing the condition of every human being after they come out of the womb It describes them. In what way? Are they an enemy of God? I mean, that sounds intense. Well, they fight for control of their lives. God God made you because He wants the freedom to make your life into a glorious, beautiful thing. But in order to do that, He's got to have control of your life. The very thing you don't want to give Him. A human being doesn't want to give Him. So they they come out of their mother's womb fighting for control of their life. Last week, I dedicated my granddaughter, Evangeline. She's the most precious thing in the world. I just, uh, right now, they're in a a season, she's living in my house, and I gotta tell you, she is the most popular person in my house, by far. Uh, uh, You know, uh, she just is, and and she's just, you know, she's just irresistible, but man, does she fight for control of her life. Every human being does. It's the the condition of man ever since uh, the Garden of Eden and, and the fall of man. And, and, and so, um, peace. There could hardly be a better spokesman for what peace was than Paul. Why? Number one, he knew what it was like to have no peace. We just uh, saw that. And, and because, oh, there had been a, a void, a space in his life which he knew was empty of God. So number one, he knew. Why was he a good spokesman for peace? Because he knew what it was like to have no peace. Because he he knew what it was like to have that that empty void in his life that was empty uh, of God. But number two, he had been at war with God. Again, we we saw here, this is a man at war with God here. It's in in Acts chapter uh, 9 verse 1. Paul breathing threats. He breathed threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He knew what it was like to be at war with God. So again, uh, there is a man 
here's a man, Paul, who truly knew what it was like to have no peace. But he also truly knew what it was like to have peace. He knew what it was like to have no peace, but he also knew what it was like to have it. In fact, he's able to write this verse to the Philippians. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He knew about this. This guy, Paul, knew about this peace. A peace that surpasses understanding, which cannot be explained, humanly speaking. He, he knew about that. Why? Why did he know about this peace that surpasses understanding? Why? Because he knew grace. You can't know peace until you first know grace. Until you first have it. So, what is grace? Paul says in verse 2, grace to you and peace. You can't have peace without grace. We've discussed what peace is. Let's discuss what grace is. Grace is this. Grace is receiving a blessing when we deserve a punishment. Grace is receiving a blessing when we deserve a punishment. It's getting something that we do not deserve. Pastor Scott gave a great example uh, last year. Uh, about what this is. I think it's been repeated a couple times. Uh, Somewhere in Michigan, there was a woman who had a toddler in her backseat of the car, and the the toddler was just bouncing around, didn't have a car seat. Oh, my. She was stopped by a state trooper. And there's, there's, uh, in many states, there's actually criminal liability for that, much less civil liability, a fine, a big hefty fine. What did the state trooper do? This is actually reported on national news. Not only did he not give her a fine or bring her to jail, he took her to Walmart and he bought a child seat for her. That's grace. She deserved a punishment. Not only did she not get the punishment, she got a blessing on top of it. I've used... The example in my own life a couple times, you know, when you're a parent, you you want opportunities to show your kids about grace. And, oh, man, I was in New York City. Oh, man, are there opportunities to give grace when you're in the middle of New York City. (laughs) Woo! Yeah. And so we were at a restaurant. I think some of you remember the story. And we're having breakfast and, you know, trying to be kind to our waitress. And she was clearly from... Somewhere in Eastern Europe, and I said, so, so, where are you from? She said, I hate when people ask me that question. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm sorry, I'll have my eggs over easy, really, you know. Um, and, and so that, that's how sort of the whole thing went with her. And so when we left, you know, my kids are like, whatever you do, don't give her a tip. And I left her a 60% tip. And you say, well, that's crazy. That's wrong. That's reinforcing bad behavior. It may be crazy, but that's what grace is. 
it's not only did she not get a punishment, she got something that she absolutely didn't deserve. It just was a great uh, teaching moment uh, for our kids. What is grace? It's, it's instead of a punishment, you receive a blessing, you receive a gift, you receive a reward. So, uh, so grace, grace, you behave as an enemy of God, which we've already established. Every one of you in this room, every one of us, came out of our womb as an enemy of God. You behave as an enemy of the God of the universe, the God who created the heavens and uh, and the earth. You behave as an enemy of El Shaddai, Almighty God. The God of the universe tells you to do one thing, you do another. The one who created the heavens and earth tells you to do one thing, you do another thing. He tells you to do one thing, you do another. Over and over and over again, for days, for weeks, for years, this just goes on. Now, if you have ever, if you ever went before a human judge after doing that, days, weeks, years violating the law, the human judge would be left with no choice but to give you the most severe punishment. How much more so God of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth, almighty God, El Shaddai. Who is the judge over all judges? I mean, if God decides not to judge our violations of the law, what message would that be to all the judges on planet Earth that he's over? I mean, it would lead to all out full on chaos. But God does judge sin and the penalty, the consequence, the punishment for sin is death. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, it says this. The payment for sin is death. The consequence of your sin, the consequence of God telling you to do one thing through your conscience, through the word of God, or some other way, he's telling you to do one thing and you do another. He is so holy, the penalty for sin is death. But that is where the grace of God comes in. And that's where there's just this, this, breathtaking, spectacular message of grace in this letter, Ephesians. Rather than punishing you for your son, for your sin, rather, God sent Jesus, His Son, His only Son, to be punished for your sin. So listen, imagine this. Imagine now that, that God Almighty God tells you to do something you do not. And imagine that every time that you did that, that, that he tells you to do something and you do not, a hammer comes down on a nail that has been driven through the hand and the feet of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, you don't have to imagine because it happened. Every time in your life that you knew God was telling you to do something, and whether he's telling you, uh, whether you knew or you didn't know, but you did it anyway, the, something um, that was uh, the word of God, the commandment of God, and you did something anyway, a nail, a very large one, an iron stake was driven through the right hand of the Son of God, then through his left hand, and then through his feet. Every time you did that, the Son of God took the punishment in your place. 
the suffering. But now remember, grace doesn't end there. What is grace? Again, we defined it receiving a a blessing when we deserved a punishment. So grace doesn't stop when the punishment is taken away. It doesn't, didn't stop uh, with, with Jesus taking the punishment um, at the cross. He, he went further. It's a, the Bible says that he died. The Bible says that he was buried in a tomb. The Bible says he rose from the dead. He was taken up to heaven where now after taking away your punishment, oddly, he invites you to dinner. Now that's crazy. After, after having iron stakes driven through his hands and his feet and, and, a, and a spear piercing his side, a crown of thorns embedded into his head, he, he ascends into heaven and then he, he invites you to dinner. And I, I put John uh, Revelation 3.20 up a lot. I'm going to put it up again now because it's just such a picture of grace. This is Jesus speaking in Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, anyone, underline that word, anyone. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and he will dine with me. I'll have dinner with you if you'll just come in. And he with me. That's grace. That is grace. So with all that in mind, let's read those first two verses again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints, saint is anyone who has put their trust in Jesus Christ. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then let's read verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, there can be no better spokesman for grace and peace than Paul. Paul, at this point, is sitting in a jail in Rome. He's writing this letter from a jail in Rome. He has a chain affixed to him. He's tied up with a chain. He's been bound up with a chain. How is it that he is able to say in verse 3, after so tirelessly serving the Lord, he's in a jail, he's got a chain fixed to him. How is he able to say, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. How is it that he can say that? It's because he understands grace. Here was a guy who was a murderer. He didn't murder just one person. He murdered multiple people. It says he dragged, the Bible says that he, in the book of Acts, he he not only went out and sought out entering into houses, dragging men and women, committing them to prison. It says later on in the book of Acts, um, he brought them to trial and he cast his vote in favor of killing them. 
But then what happens? The Bible says that Jesus Christ appeared to him. Him with breathing all his threats, breathing his violence, with his record of murder that he could not escape from. Jesus appeared to him and said, you know, there is a sin worse than all your murder. There's a sin that's worse than unbelief in me. There's a, there, there, there's a sin worse than dragging men and women to jail and leaving their kids as orphans. There's a sin that's worse than, than coming against God's church. And that sin is to reject Jesus Christ after he went to the cross for you and had those, again, sorry for the, the, the repeated um, imagery here, but, but drove, drove, uh, had nails driven through his hands and feet. There's only one sin, brothers and sisters, here this morning that's worse than all the sin that you can't get over in your past. That sin that you just keep on asking God for forgiveness to, for, even though the Bible says we're only supposed to ask for forgiveness once. The, there's only one sin that's worse than, than that thing that you carry every day, the Bible says. And that sin is rejecting the love of God. Rejecting the love of God in that he sent his only son to be in your place. And he did that to free you of the guilt, to free you of the pain, to free you of the necessity of having to ask him for forgiveness every single day for the rest of your life. And Paul knew that. And that's why Paul is able to say that he has a peace that passes understanding because he understood the grace. Those are the first three verses. We'll be in Ephesians for a while. But I'm going to call the worship team up and we're just going to close the service. If you've been asked to pray, you can come up as well. So the worship team is going to just close us with a worship song. And while the worship song is playing, if you in your life have never come to the place where you've stopped your war with God. And by that, I mean, you've your whole life, you know, full will that you full well that you've never given control over to God. Again, God made you in order to get that control from you because he wants to bless you. (laughs) He wants to give you life. And if you have never come into uh, the place of a place in your life where you you've just you've stopped this game of trying to to please God by I don't know being a good person or whatever. Being a good person is never going to please God if you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart and take over everything. <laughs> and so if if you've never done that if you've if you've never asked Jesus to come. Uh, in into your heart and take over everything. I'm going to be right here. Come up and and you can pray with me, or else, or if you've done that and you've never really come forward and make it made it public, do it right now. Or you may be here this morning, and man, there's some emotional, mental, and spiritual dis- disturbance going on in your life, 
You know, the great news is that once you are in Christ, once you've invited him in for dinner, he has promised that if you present that emotional, mental, or spiritual disturbance to God with a heart of thanksgiving, Philippians chapter 4 says, if you do that, if you present that anxiety or whatever it is to God, it says the peace that passes understanding will guard your heart, mind, in Christ Jesus. Come up for prayer if that describes you um, as well or anything else as the worship team closes. Why don't you stand? I'll pray and we will worship. And if you've been asked to pray, please, please come to the front. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. for grace and for peace. I thank you, Lord, that literally it's true that your word says there is no reason why we must remain in a place where there is no peace. Thank you for your word, Lord. Romans chapter 5. Where it says that anyone who has put their faith in Christ Jesus has peace with God. Lord, I just pray that you would draw publicly right now anyone who has never really done that. And Lord, I just pray also just for all of us as we, as we worship now that we would worship you from that place of peace which we have because of the cross, because of Jesus, because of your love. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.